Good morning, everyone. Today we're reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. This is the ESV version. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the Word of God. We have been studying Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' big manifesto on what it means to be blessed, what it means to flourish what it means to live a life as somebody who is a child of God, one of his followers, somebody who is going to inherit God's eternal kingdom, and what it looks like to live in expectation of God's coming kingdom right now in this life, in a broken world, and, and even as we struggle with our, with our own sin and weakness. What is the blessed life? And, and today, as, as we're working through the middle of uh, his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to deal with an aspect of our, of our religion and spirituality, fasting, that really in, in my lifetime, in our lifetime, uh, I have never seen more prevalent than now uh, during this pandemic uh, a focus on fasting. Individual fasting, corporate fasting, I've never seen anything uh, like this before in our lifetime. And of course, uh, Christians, Jews, many religions uh, have always fasted. Uh, the idea of depriving yourself of the most basic of life's needs, food. Uh, Jesus had a positive view of fasting, as did his apostles. After him, Jesus isn't in this passage banning uh, fasting or, or talking down uh, to the idea of fasting, but he is addressing the motives behind it. So, as we've seen before with Jesus and, and how one should practice their righteousness, uh, he talked about generosity, he talked about prayer, and now he's talking about fasting. So, so what does righteous fasting look like? Uh, you will remember, as we've been working through the Sermon, that Je uh, the sermon on the Mount, that Jesus strikes at the heart of what true religion really is. And he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So just a brief recap, this is, this is really what Jesus has been saying. Is your religion, your personal religion, about you or God? Is your generosity and your social justice and your almsgiving or um, uh, your community service is it about you or is it about God? Is your prayer life about you or about God? Right? And, and now Jesus is going to, to take on a third example of your own personal religion, fasting. Right? The, third, the third topic he's going to touch on here with personal religion is fasting. And what he's asking us to consider is what motivates our fasting. When we engage in such a spiritual discipline, what's our motivation for it? And so I hope that today's teaching is going to be helpful for us uh, during this time, uh, during the pandemic. And here's what I want to try and communicate today. Righteous fasting deprives you of what you cannot keep, uh, to borrow an expression uh, from somebody else. 
Righteous fasting deprives you of what you can't keep in order to receive what you can't lose. Righteous fasting deprives you of what you cannot keep in this life or in the next so that you will receive in this life and the next what you cannot lose. And so we're going to talk about why we fast. We're also going to talk about what we're actually fasting from and who we're fasting for. Okay? Why we fast, what we're actually fasting from, and who we fast for. So why do we fast? What does the Bible say? Now, fasting was only expressly commanded once in the Old Testament, but it was a common spiritual habit in ancient Israel. God required a nationwide fast on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Leviticus chapter 16. But everything else seems to have been voluntary or circumstantial. So just a few examples. For 40 days, Moses fasted on Mount Sinai. Uh, For a brief time, David fasted when his young son was dying. Esther urged all of the Jews in Susa to fast for three days while she went to advocate for them uh, under, under the potential fear of death. Jesus, we see, uh, fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. So what we see in all of these things is, first of all, Moses is about to receive the Ten Commandments. Uh, David is, is losing his son to a fatal illness. Esther and her people are facing the real threat of genocide. And, and Jesus is resisting Satan and preparing for three years of public ministry that would change the course of human history. And so what all of these different circumstances have in common is they were, they were pivotal moments of distress or need or opportunity. And in such moments, the deprivation of the body and the brain through fasting stimulates the soul and the psyche for prayer and meditation. Now, by Jesus' day in the first century, religious tradition had institutionalized fasting. So, for instance, the Pharisees, we discover in Luke chapter 18, verse 12, the Pharisees fasted twice a week, and and they fasted on the market days, and and their fasting was evident to everybody because the the ashes ashes on on their heads would, would splatter down by circumstance, by happenstance, onto their beard. So as they went out in public during their times of fasting, it was very obvious to everybody what they were doing. And so in that context, Jesus says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fast, so that their fasting may be seen by others. Right, And his reply to this is, when you fast, verses 17 and 18, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. What Jesus is basically saying here is, when you fast, when you're fasting, freshen up, right? Wash your face, put some oil in your hair. It was a cosmetic thing that they did in those days. Just freshen up while you're going through a period of fasting. Don't draw attention to yourself, is what he's saying. What, are you trying to win an Oscar? Are you trying to get 1,000 likes on social media, fasting for ventilators? 
Or are you, during a time of uncommon need and sensitivity, are you seeking God? As John Calvin put it, the fasting in which we engage should make no change in our accustomed way of living. Or as Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, when you fast, be natural. And I think it's interesting that when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, how does Satan come to Jesus and tempt him? After 40 days of a fast, what is the first thing that Satan tempts him with? Food, right? And Jesus responds by saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus resists Satan's temptations, and Satan flees from Jesus. And and then the gospel tells us, uh, at the end of his fast, when Satan departed from him, angels came to him and ministered to him. Now, the Greek word there for minister, the the word Matthew uses in his gospel is diakoneo. It meant to wait on somebody. It It meant to serve people. It's where the word deacon comes from. So the angels came to him and ministered to him, waited on him. Now, now, a few scholars say this. You can't really prove it, but I think what was happening there is the angels were caring for Jesus and they were feeding him after a 40-day fast. And here's the point, because whether they were actually feeding Jesus or not, the angels, um, whether the angels were, were feeding Jesus or not, here's my point. When Jesus came back into society from his fast in the wilderness, He did not look or feel famished and weak. And so I think as we look at the Old Testament witness of fasting, and as we look at Jesus' own personal practice of fasting, I think we can give ourselves a helpful working definition of what fasting, from a biblical perspective, from a Christian perspective is. Fasting is a voluntary spiritual discipline of food abstinence for a set period of time, that encourages in you a mindset of fuller dependence on God. Spiritual discipline of food abstinence for a set time that encourages in you a mindful dependence on God. And that's why we fast, according to the Bible. As Psalm 63 verse 1 says, David, who was in the wilderness... O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now we can help, I think we can help ourselves avoid being overly spiritual about fasting or opportunistic about fasting by staying practical here. Let's stay practical. Uh, So I want to ask a question. What are we fasting from? And, and I don't mean food. Yes, of course, we're, we're fasting from food. And in, and in, certain, in certain forms of fasting, we're, we're fasting from drink. Um, what are we fasting from? It's a serious question. Fasting opposes two common mindsets, I think, in our society. Fasting opposes two common mindsets, indulgence and legalism. We are materialistic and we are physically driven in how we indulge ourselves. And we tend to be legalistic in our moral attitudes and in our social attitudes. 
So I think fasting opposes two common mindsets. First, we live in a we live in an indulgent society. Uh, we believe we believe that we are entitled to material and physical pleasure, and we believe that we can spend our money and other people's money however we want. And so we regularly are asking ourselves the question, uh, if not if if not thoughtfully, this is at least the idea and and how we feel. How can I get pleasure? How can I enjoy pleasure in an existence that has little meaning, right? Because our society is mostly secularized now. So we live our lives with, with the hope of enjoying pleasure in an existence that has very little meaning. Not only are we indulgent, we're also legalistic. We tend to be legalistic about everything. And so in all walks of life and areas of our lives, there are social structures Some of them are very big social structures. Um, Some of them are very small. Uh, A a social structure that may only exist in your workplace or in your house or even in your church or in your family. And so these social structures, uh, they, they, they basically accept us or deny us based on how spiritual we are or how informed we are or how correct we are or how just we are. And so we go through our lives asking the question, how can I enjoy acceptance in a divisive and polarized society? How can I enjoy feeling accepted, being accepted? How can I find the approval of my peers? In a society where, you know, everywhere you look, people are uh, increasingly opposed to one another. To simplify all of this, Let's just put it this way. We often seek to satisfy ourselves and we seek to justify ourselves. But we know that our decaying bodies, our decaying planet, natural disasters, recessions, pandemics are showing us that the pleasures of this life, the comforts that we seek and protect are fleeting and they don't endure and we can't take them with us. And we lose them over sicknesses, and and we lose them over conflicts. And we also know that our ever-shifting relationships and interests and standards and and then the subsequent conflicts and injustices, uh, that these relationships and interests and standards uh, create in our lives, uh, all of this shows us that we're, we're never always on the right side of every issue, right? And we discover through all this that we can't, we can't please everybody and we can't impress everybody. It's actually quite the opposite. We've seen already in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has already said that in the Beatitudes, Jesus has already said that his people, those who are blessed, those who are truly flourishing from his perspective, they will be marginalized by this world's social systems and power structures. Fasting, however helps you redirect your insatiable need to satisfy yourself and justify yourself. That's what biblical fasting is allowing you to get away from. That's what you're fasting from. The constant desire to satisfy yourself and justify yourself. The things that you are abstaining from, food, but not only food, what are other things that we we abstain from sometimes or, or often? Food, Uh, sex, status, comfort, 
Okay, the things that you abstain from in a fast, they're, they're the things you can't keep anyway. The things that you cling to in a fast are God's presence, his word, his wisdom, his precious promises, his love, his mercy. These are the things that for a child of God, if, if you believe in Jesus and follow him, these are the things that you can never lose. So you're abstaining in a fast from what you can't keep anyway, and, and you're clinging to what and who you will never lose. And you can test God on this. And I don't mean test in a negative way, in a skeptical way, or a distrustful way. I mean it in a positive way, in an expectant way, in a hopeful way. You can test God in your fasting to discover that he really is all you need. As we sang in the song, he's my all in all. And Dallas Willard wrote that fasting is indeed feasting. When we have learned well to fast, we will not suffer from it. It will bring strength and joy. We will not be miserable. And so Jesus tells us not to look miserable. So we fast from more than food, right? We're, we're really fasting from our appetite to satisfy and justify ourselves before people and even to ourselves. We're fasting from our insatiable appetite to satisfy ourselves or justify ourselves. And as David said in Psalm 63, verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And friends, this type of fasting, what Jesus is talking about, what we see in Scripture, this type of fasting is critical at times. You can't do it all the time, and, and, and probably not even most of the time. This type of fasting, though, is critical at important key times because there's another type of fasting that we regularly engage in. The type of fasting that Jesus and the God of the Bible instructs us in is critical because there's another type of fasting that we are doing all the time. We don't even know we're doing it, and it's a very sad type of fasting, and it's a very dangerous type of fasting. It's very sad. What did Jesus say in verse 16? He said, they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. And so I want you to ask yourself, are you using your religion and your ministry, whether it's your prayer life or your generosity and your social justice, and in this case, your fasting, are you using your religion to actually fast from God? Think about it that way. Are you using your fasting to actually deprive yourself from God's presence in your life. If you're doing it so that others will see, if you're doing it to impress, right, or to manipulate God, you're actually depriving yourself of God. The Lord told the Israelites who had returned from 70 years of exile through the prophet Zechariah, he said, when you fasted and mourned these 70 years, was it for me? Was it for me? Our Creator and our Father grieves over our lack of dependency on Him. So that type of fasting is very sad, but it's also very dangerous. What did Jesus say again in verse 16? Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
You know, your neighbors may be impressed with your religion. Your church may be impressed by it. Your students, your coworkers, people who work for you, people, people may be impressed, but, but God's not. People may think you're pretty spiritual, but God's not impressed. So there's, in every good story and movie, there's a hero and there's a villain, right? Uh, and, 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 these, and these contrasting characteristics, uh, we call them foils in literature, right? Uh, the, the villain is the foil to, to the hero. And, and, and so just think about a, a few common examples of, of, of uh, a villain and, and the villain's foil in a hero, or vice versa. Think of Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, Darth Vader. Think of Mr. Darcy and Mr. Wickham. Think of Aslan and the White Witch. Or even think of Ignacio and Ramses, right? The, the one is a foil to the characteristics of the other. They're opposites, right? So one scholar says, thematically speaking, if there were a hero in the Sermon on the Mount, in what Jesus is trying to communicate in the Sermon on the Mount, the hero is righteousness, the greater righteousness that comes from God. That's the hero. Uh, that's the main idea in the Sermon on the Mount. If there were a villain, the scholar says, if there were a villain, it would have to be the opposite of righteousness. So what's the opposite of righteousness according to what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount? Interestingly, it's not immorality. The opposite of righteousness is not immorality. It's hypocrisy. That's the villain in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the opposite of righteousness, hypocrisy. Right? It's the hypocrites who are doing their religion to be seen by others. And, and the ancients understood hypocrisy from the Greek word they got it from. It comes from the Greek word for actor. All right? So when the ancients are talking about hypocrisy, what they mean is your appearance doesn't mirror your intentions. You have a divided heart. That's what Jesus means by hypocrisy, a divided heart. So we routinely deprive ourselves of God, and instead we seek self-satisfaction and self-recognition. That's the fasting we're engaged in far too often. We starve ourselves of God's presence, presence and goodness and wisdom and grace, and we lust after satisfaction and pleasure and moral and social pride. So, so who are we fasting for? Who are we really fasting for? Is it for ourselves or is it for our Heavenly Father? That's what Jesus is asking us to think about. And remember, when we're talking about righteousness from Jesus' perspective, it is extremely personal. Righteousness is a personal thing. It is about a relationship. And the God of, the God of the Bible tells us in Joel chapter 2, Return to me. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. This is a, Righteousness is about a relationship. Return to me, the God of the Bible says to you. Now, remember what Jesus had said to Satan in the wilderness 
uh, after fasting for 40 days, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember that? Well, in another place, in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was Jesus's food, to do the will of God. Not to do his own will, but to, de to deny his own will and do the will of the Father. That was his food. That was his nourishment. That was his sustenance. And Jesus really believed that. And he lived by that. And you know what? Jesus even died by that principle. Jesus deprived himself of much more than food, my friends. Jesus deprived himself of his eternal heavenly throne. Jesus, in living this life, deprived himself of royal status and a kingly life. Jesus deprived himself of a home and a family. Jesus deprived himself of his rights and of justice and of a fair trial. Jesus deprived himself of his very life. And the Bible tells us that in all of those ways, Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of all of that, of all that he was entitled to. He emptied himself of all of it, and he filled himself up with the cup of God's wrath, the just wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sin and our rebellion of always lusting after satisfaction and pleasure and social status and moral status, all that we lust after, all of that that was, that was distasteful and horrendous and grievous to our Creator. Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath for all of that. He emptied himself and then he filled himself up with our sin. And he died in our place, the righteous man for the unrighteous criminals. And so true religion, true religion, and, and this is what Jesus means by righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, True religion is depriving yourself of whatever is hindering you from drawing close to Jesus Christ. That's really what fasting is about. Remove whatever hinders you from drawing close in intimacy with your Creator through the man who sacrificed himself for you, who gave up everything and deprived himself who went without so that you could have everything. Righteous fasting deprives you of what you cannot keep in order to receive what you cannot lose. If you want to know how to fast, practically speaking, if you want to know how to fast, send me an email and we'll talk about it. Or get into your community groups and discuss what healthy, God-centered, smart, wise, practical fasting looks like. Talk to each other about it. But for now, know this, that God sees your fasting and he loves it when we sacrifice our basic needs in greater dependence upon him. He loves that. He longs for us to cling to him and say, Abba, Father, we need you. We want to be with you more than we want food. We want to be with you more than we want all the pleasures of this life. We want you more. So test him. I'm serious. Test him. And, and, as, and as the psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
test him, taste and see that he is good and discover that he is all you need. Jesus is your all in all. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that we have, we have longed for and hungered for and thirsted for many things and many people, and quite often it has not been you. And we confess this to you, and we praise you uh, that Jesus was not like that. And we long to be more like him. We long for the righteousness. We long for the righteousness that tells us we are your sons and daughters. We long for the righteousness that tells us Jesus gave everything up so that we could draw near to you as he drew near to you. May we live by that righteousness, by his righteousness. So Father, teach us how to do our personal religion in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, that points others to you. Amen.